0: Gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is show number thirty-five of the MMA podcast that so brings you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name's Simon Head, and I guess who's back this week? Mr. Chimakar Sandy, How are you, buddy?
1: I'm very well, si. I Had a nice break in Orlando, Florida. I was there for the WrestleMania festivities. I had a good time. Got a bit of a tan. Um, it took me a while to kind of recover from the jet lag, which is uh, why I was absent on last week's show. Uh, but I'm fully rested, recovered and fresh and uh, ready to talk a bit of MMA with you today.
0: Fantastic. One thing, before we launch into this, we've got UFC on Fox to talk about, which took place at the weekend. We've got your questions that we're obviously going to answer. We do that every week. And we'll throw things forward to to next weekend's event in Nashville, Tennessee, as Cubs Swanson headlines against the Russian hammer Artem Lebov. But We've got a couple of stories that are developing as we speak, Mr Sandu, that I thought we should, we should quickly touch on. First one, I don't know, this is almost a redundant question. I was going to say, I don't know how, how much of Twitter you've been on today. You're always yep. on Twitter, so you probably yep. be well aware of this. Jimmy Manor is doing a pretty good job of pushing DC's buttons right now. Yep. And uh, he's really sort of poking the bear a little bit and trying to get DC to agree to a title fight. Um, and DC's beginning to react and I don't think we've ever really seen him like this on social well I don't think we've seen either of them like this on social media before Jimmy's not really a big trash talker but I think he knows what he needs to do to get the fight and DC's reacting to him this this is quite a positive sign I think if you're looking for a Jimmy Mano a title fight this summer, what do you think?
1: Yeah I mean I, th- I think DC's you know a veteran you know, and he's done this before he's kind of interacted with John Jones a hell of a lot over the last three or four years in any form of media, social media, actual media. But this is great stuff from Jimmy. I have been paying attention. It's all kind of sprouted up in the last couple of hours or so. And this is exactly what I wanted to see out of Jimmy. Um, He's starting to kind of really call his shot. He was in Vegas um, before he went to the the Buffalo card last weekend. And then I believe he went back to Vegas. And uh, and I saw he was there with his manager, Audiotta, for those of the – For those of you who don't know, Tar is also the manager of One, Conor McGregor. So he's a a powerhouse when it comes to management, especially in our MMA circles. And um, so who knows? Maybe they've struck a a title fight, which they're waiting to announce. Maybe it was just a new uh, fight contract for Jimmy. Um, Maybe it was all all about the David Hay fight. Who knows? But I think Jimmy's eyes are firmly set on trying to get that title shot. And obviously, you've got Gustafsson um, fighting in Stockholm next month. Um, and if he wins that fight, he's going to have a, a case to make for himself as well to get another crack um, at at DC. And um, you know, I think Jimmy, what he needs to do, and you know, what he's done today, is just make sure that he's firmly set himself in position to try and get that next title shot. If they make DC defend his title once more before John Jones comes back, that's the that's the question. You know, will he wait for John Jones, or will he take one more fight before John Jones comes back? And and like. This is, this is all you can ask for him. Jimmy's doing everything that he can do. You know this, this is the kind of stuff in the next couple of hours and tomorrow morning that will start to make a lot of headlines and uh, more power to him.
0: Yeah, I think this could play quite nicely into Jimmy Manu's hands. I think he needs to be getting the fight booked before Alexander Gustafsson fights Glover Teixeira because the last thing he needs is for his own teammate to then be thrown into the mix. I think any, any fight with John Jones or DC that involves Alexander Gustafsson, is an instant hit before you even start because they've got the backstory. They've had those those epic encounters already. But you do get the impression that DC thinks that Jimmy's going to be uh, relatively light work. That's certainly the uh, the line he's putting out there at the moment. And uh, I think that plays into Jimmy's hands. I think if, if Cormier wants to get a fight in before Jones comes back, then why not fight this guy that he thinks he can beat easily? So, it, if in his mind, if he thinks it's an easy win, why not take a fight during International Fight Week? Um, get on that big UFC 213 card, more of which in a minute. Um, maybe get on that fight card, maybe with another big name, more drawing power, one of the biggest fight weekends of the year. Get those pay-per-view points, get those dollars in the bank and fight this guy who it it appears at least he thinks he can beat quite easily seems like a no brainer if you're jimmy manoa that's exactly what you want him to think and that's exactly what you want him to do the last thing you want him to do is to think do you know what i'll wait for john jones or do you know what i'd rather fight gustafsson again i don't think dc would want to fight gustafsson uh before fighting john jones that's a he in his mind i think that's a more dangerous fight for him because he said no one has pushed him Harder than, Alexand- than, uh, than, than Alexander Gustafsson has. So I think Jimmy's in a good spot because he's been slightly underrated, I would say. But he's also in position and the conversation has started. DC went to him at the end of that fight and started drawing in his direction. That, I thought, was telling. That tells me that he wants that fight. Uh, but he then teed up John Jones for further down the line. I think this is all playing really nicely. Uh, into Jimmy Manuel 's hands. And as a Brit, it would be great to see him in a world title fight. Now, we took USC 213. A massive rumour that is uh, beginning to pick up some steam today. Conor McGregor uh, hit Instagram, I think it was yesterday or day before, and posted saying his next fight is going to be announced soon. Um, there has been a rumour today that suggests that Mr. Tyron Woodley will take on Conor McGregor for the undisputed welterweight championship of the world at UFC 213, which is that showpiece event in International Fight Week. That would undoubtedly be the main event. Um, Conor McGregor's not going to fight anywhere other than on, on, on the top of the bill. So if you're Daniel Cormier, you'd probably be quite happy to sit as the co-main underneath a Conor McGregor fight. That'd be a huge earner for you. But Conor McGregor versus Tyron Woodley going for could he be the the champ 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 by the end of uh by the end of fight week in the summer it's it's the sort of fight that the UFC need to give him if they want him to get in the octagon before he faces Floyd Mayweather so I think that I think there's some legs to this I'd love to see the Nate Diaz fight again as well um I think Tony Ferguson while he's probably from a meritocracy standpoint the most deserving next guy in line right now uh, I don't think he's going to get the fight somehow. Uh, McGregor, if he steps in with a fight with Tyron Woodley, he loses nothing. You know what I mean? He's not going to lose his belts or his, his belt rather. He's looking to add rather than defend, which is he's, he's been his policy all the way through. What do you think? Do you like the idea? Would you would you be happy with that? How, you know, what do you
1: make of it? I like the idea in the sense it keeps Conor McGregor in MMA. I like the idea that it keeps him within the UFC rather than him enter a 20 by 20 boxing ring and fight, or not even fight, box Floyd Mayweather. Because I think pretty much all of us know ex- exactly you know, what direction that boxing match will be headed towards. Now, you know if, if it goes down the Floyd Mayweather route, don't get me wrong, I think you and me, Simon Both, and everybody involved... Will be all about and really, really fall in love with the spectacle of the event because that's a, a major part of why we like combat sports in the first, in, in the first place. The spectacle, the hype, the promotion, the build-up. It'll give us plenty of talking points. But once that's all done and it comes the the, you know, the night of the fight, it's not going to be competitive it's not going to be it'll, it'll be kind of you know exciting and i'm sure you'll be able to cut the electricity with a knife but once that bell kind of rings we know what's going to happen it'll be mayweather just picking you know mcgregor apart you know getting it done within the distance most likely but if it means keeping mcgregor within the ufc and in mma then why not now you know you said you mentioned woodley meant you know dropping an instagram post today telling everyone that you know fight camp has started and then you have to wonder, well, who who's he supposed to be fighting? Because Damien Myers booked, Jorge Masvidal's booked, and those are the only two likely welterweights that are from, a, I suppose, a purist point of view and meritocracy point of view, deserving of a crack at his belt. I mean, who else is there? Is it is it is it possible that? Nick Diaz has, has you know have they called on Nick Diaz to fight Tyron Woodley is it Nate Diaz jumping up to 170 again I mean I think that was that was the only kind of realm of uh, of fights that Woodley was looking at in terms of a money fight he was looking for a McGregor or a Diaz fight I mean it'd be amazing if it is going to be McGregor I mean considering that the the lightweight championship uh, or the um, you know, the interim lightweight title fight fell to pieces with Khabib Nurmagomedov, Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson. Um, and you've got the featherweight title fight coming up with Jose Aldo and Max Holloway. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I suppose, some intrigue into finding out whether this is going to be um, a fight that the UFC are going to announce. I, If I'm a betting man, Simon, I still think that the fight announcement on McGregor's side is going to be Mayweather. Or a September showdown, I think there's just been so so much um, publicity behind it uh, from both ends over the course of the last six months or so um, that it's going to be now or never especially at Mayweather's age but I'll be surprised if it is going to be Woodley and if it isn't uh, Woodley McGregor then I'm very intrigued to find out who Woodley will be fighting because as I mentioned the guys that are, that are rightfully deserving of a title shot, they're booked
0: that's it, I think there are only two other options for Tyron Woodley, I think based on, unless they're going to tear up a, you know, a a bout that's already been booked. There are only really two options. I can see one of them you mentioned is, is, is is Nick Diaz. The other one is George St. Pierre. Don't rule that one out. I, I, I think, I think that, that is still a viable option. Um, I just think it might be... The reason why I think the McGregor thing might have legs is because Conor McGregor has been telling everyone who, who's prepared to to listen or follow him on on social media that he's fighting Floyd Mayweather. He's not made any secret of this. I'm going to fight Floyd Mayweather. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. And now he says, my next fight announced, will be announced soon. But Conor, you've been talking to us for eight months telling us you're fighting Floyd Mayweather, why get coy now? Why not say, I'll give you the date for the Mayweather, you know, the Mayweather fight will be, and we'll, we'll have a date for that soon. Why has he not said that? That, that, that slight change in approach suggests to me that maybe, maybe this Tyron Woodley thing could be, could be a goer. It could be putting two and two together and getting five. But, I don't know. I think I think it's I think it's possible. I think it's possible and it might also be a bargaining chip. It might be there's been a lot of talk about how much money the UFC might want in order for this McGregor Mayweather fight to happen. And don't forget they're talking September. So you know uh, McGregor will will be in fight shape if he fights in in uh, in early July and we'll just be able to in theory just plow through working extensively boxing from that point on to get to September. You know, he'll be in fight shape. He'll have been training for a fight anyway leading in. Um, Maybe it's one of those where it's like, okay, you want to get the big slice of the pie here, Connor. We need our slice of the pie. If we're not going to get it in, in these negotiations with Floyd because you need this much money, then give a little bit for us. Fight during International Fight Week. Take the big fight for us. We'll give you top of the bill. We'll give you whoever you want. Top of the bill. UFC 213. Fight then. And then we won't stand in your way. We'll take a smaller slice of the pie for the Mayweather fight in order that that fight gets done. Because even a smaller slice of the pie for a pie that big is still going to be an enormous amount of money. So maybe it's that. Maybe there's a little bit of give and take there. It keeps... It means that he's back in the octagon and I think that's really valuable for the UFC, especially now. They've not had many really real blockbuster shows so far this year. We've had some good events, but nothing, yeah, no. nothing that's real blockbuster level. So maybe there's a little bit of to and fro going on, a bit of back and forth there. I think, I think it's really interesting. Um, and we're in that sort of time frame now where we're going to start learning of matchups that are being made for that sort of week. It's not going to be a triple header that week. It's going to be a, it's going to be a double header that week. There's no Thursday event. There's going to be the tough finale on the Friday, and then UFC two one three on the Saturday. So, and it sounds like Robbie Lawler Cowboy Cerrone has been targeted for that event, which would be an absolute banger of a fight to put on that two one three card. But yeah, I think I think there might be some legs in it, Sandy. I really do.
1: Yeah, I mean potentially it'll be interesting to see how things develop as we always say Simon nothing is impossible in this sport so so let's see how that kind of news story develops in the next couple of days
0: absolutely well that's the rumor and speculation and crackpot theorizing out the window let's talk about something that we can discuss with some some sense of uh certainty UFC on Fox took place this past weekend in Kansas City Missouri and uh it delivered a night to remember for the UFC flyweight division and a night to remember for Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. He equals Addison Silver's UFC record by defending his flyweight title for a tenth time with a submission win over Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt Wilson Hayes. As performances go, it was virtually flawless. There was I, I couldn't pick up many holes in it at all. And... He said afterwards, "I'm the best, the best fighter to ever set foot in this octagon," and I, I think he's right. And, and you know, some people have said, "No, he's not as good as he's not as good as GSP, or he's not as good as Anderson Silva." I don't know. I think he might be. I think he might be the best fighter we've ever seen in the UFC. His body of work, he's done it over an extended period of time um and uh, i know we've probably got some questions about this later on so we'll you know we won't go into massive depth on on stuff like the depth of the division but i don't know if we've seen a more accomplished well-rounded technically skilled fighter
1: ever in the ufc than demetrius johnson what do you make of it yeah i mean it's debatable isn't it uh, first of all i do agree with you simon Right, you know, and but you know, just to play devil's advocate, if if people want to throw John Jones' name in there and Silva's name, George Saint Pierre's name as the greatest of all time, I'm happy and willing to listen to those arguments, and that's what makes this sport so fun. Especially when you add Demetrius Johnson's name into the equation, you know, you've got three or four guys now um, that you can have a, a reasonable and sensible debate regarding who is the best of all time or the greatest of all time. But putting that to side for the for the time being, I'm just really, really happy to see uh, Demetrius almost puff out his chest a little bit. That was a fantastic post fight interview he had with Brian Stan. And it was and, and like even the the, the post fight press conference, you know, for him to be the one that started to shout out um, himself and say, you know what, I'm better than George Saint Pierre, I'm better than Anderson Silva, you know. Forget about me, you know, breaking the record. I'm looking at 12, 13, 14 title defenses, you know. And I think for so long he was a little ho-hum. He perhaps was a little bit too humble. He wasn't really giving us too many sound bites. I thought the whole package throughout the entire week, uh, the promotion of the UFC side to really push this video gamer by day, MMA fighter by night, fantastic stuff it's the, it's the first time i've actually seen them really push um his other job or you know another side of his personality um and i think you know with, the, with this video game kind of career that he's got that's going to be something that he's going to be able to make a living off uh, well after his uh mma's career is all you know, you know done and dusted um and um you know look i mean demetrius johnson he's not going to break any records on pay-per-view they've put him on ufc on fox you know the ratings have come out. It wasn't one of their higher, you know, more higher rate shows. It was more on the low end. And I guess what that tells you is, like the hardcore MMA community, they're going to watch Demetrius Johnson. You know, he, they are going to have a tough time of trying to get casuals and the mainstream uh, viewers to tune in to watch him fight. And I think at this point, perhaps him, everybody in the media, everyone in the community is just kind of like, well, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. And it's their loss. It's, you know, if people can't tune into Demetrius Johnson but will tune into a Ronda Rousey fight or a Conor McGregor fight, that's absolutely fine. That's just the way the cookie crumbles in the modern age of sports and entertainment. You know? I'm just fortunate and thankful that we're living in a time that the sport is still so young. We're looking at about 25 years old, the sport is. And um, you know, already we've got three or four You know, you know, fighters that we can really have a proper conversation about and start to kind of stack their record against um, you know each other and say, right, who is the best? Well, right now, given that John Jones isn't active, given that John Jones didn't have the best performances last time out, and given the fact that he hasn't held that light heavyweight championship in quite some time either due to his own wrongdoing, you have to say, without a shadow of a doubt, Demetrius Johnson is the pound for pound best fighter in the world. Absolutely, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, and you know, he he doubled down on those comments in the post-fight press conference. You know, he's, he came out with with some absolute dynamite stuff in the post-fight press conference talking about, you know, let me see if I can find it. I had the quote here somewhere, but it was, it was along the lines of, you know, I'm not out drink driving. I'm not hitting my wife. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I get up, I fight for a living and I'm the best in the world at what I do. And, and, there is nobody in his weight class who who can who can touch him and you know if anybody if anybody wants to wants to move down and 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 take him on then you know he's more than happy you know Cody Garbrandt wants to fight him if he can make 125 Demetrius johnson said he's happy to fight him so i've got no problem with that i think all this talk about oh he has to move up he has to move. he doesn't have to move up to cement his legacy because You know, you just don't. How many times has George St-Pierre fought outside of the welterweight division? He hasn't. He's been welterweight all the way through. No one has questioned him. You know, Anderson Silva dabbled with light heavyweight, but never fought a world championship caliber fighter at light heavyweight. So that hasn't done much. That hasn't done anything significant for his legacy. So no one's really questioning that. No one's questioning John Jones because he hasn't moved up to heavyweight. Do you know what I mean? So why 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 have these same question marks over Demetrius Johnson? It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I agree with you. Yeah, you know, he is the best fighter in the world right now. And I think he's... Because the sport is constantly evolving, it stands to reason that, in general, the champions who are in place today are better fighters and champions who were in place 10 years ago just because the sport has evolved over those 10 years now if those athletes who were champions then were in their prime now would they be champions now that that's where the debate gets a little bit tricky but if you're looking at what what they did then compared to what the guys are doing now there's a huge go back and look at some of those some of those old fights and and you know, it is night and day sometimes. Some of the techniques that, you know, these these top guys are throwing. And Demetrius does it better, faster, quicker, slicker. You know, the way he finished Wilson Hayes was just absolutely off the charts. It was it, it, it was brilliant. But he wasn't the only talking point to come out of this event. It's so nice as well, Sander. I know last week uh, you weren't able to be on the show. But it was like, it was. you know, we spent almost as much time talking about cock-ups than we were talking about great, Performances, you know what I mean. There was, yeah, there was controversy and all sorts going on. It was, it was nuts. This week we had a great event, some amazing fights and some really, really good performances. The co-main event: Rose Namajunas beating Michelle Waterson, uh, hugely impressive. And you couldn't you, I can't see a situation where Rose isn't going to be next uh, for that strawweight title. Um, she surely is next in line now to take on the winner of and Jacek and uh, Jessica Andrade. Um Almost, well, almost flawless herself. You know, Michelle Watson's a dangerous fighter, former world champion, albeit at a lower weight class. Um, was really looking to attack the legs with her kicks, um, but didn't really land too much offense other than that. Rose really put in a dominant display and then got that second round rear naked choke. But that wasn't until she absolutely flattened Waterson with that huge head kick. Amazing performance from Thug Rose. And I think she's still, you know, she's still growing in the sport. She's not hit her peak yet. You know, she she that was as good as we've seen, I think.
1: Yeah, and I kind of go back to what I was saying about Demetrius Johnson earlier on. You know, the UFC did a great job of promoting him. I thought the UFC, by a country mile, their best job promotion last week was for Rose and for for Michelle uh their uh, road to the octagon stories were really well told uh for those that didn't know it gave kind of gave a few more layers kind of got you emotionally invested in both these girls uh which is what you want you know and all the boys and girls in the ufc especially guys and girls that are fighting in the main card or main and co-main that perhaps need a little bit of building up they're in that contendership kind of status waiting to get the next crack at the title those are the fighters that you need to start putting a lot of hustle and muscle behind so those stories are told so i thought The UFC, again, did a fantastic job of promoting both fighters. Rose, um, like you said, Simon, she looks better and better. Every time she fights, it's almost like you're seeing uh, an evolution. Every time she fights, it's almost as if she's added about three or four new sets of skills in her locker. And then she'll go out and put that on display. Um, her striking was fantastic. You mentioned the head kick. Absolutely uh, highlight real stuff there. You want to see that kind of stuff in slow motion. And then she took Michelle's back and uh, tapped her out with that rear naked choke. Uh, and yeah, I think what you do with Rose now is you fly her to Dallas so she can be the cage side uh, for Jessica Andrade versus Joanna Janjacek. And 100% she should be next in line um, for the next strawweight title fight.
0: Yeah, you talk about the promotional muscle and they, they really did do a good job with that fight. Completely agree with that. Someone they're going to need to do a similar job with now is Robert Whittaker. I'm done underestimating this guy now. Um, yep. When he moved up from welterweight, I thought it was a bad move. I thought he'd be undersized um, in the middleweight division. Turned out the, to be the best move of his career. And against Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Who, by the way, could not have timed that contract signing any better. <laughs> boy, oh boy, did he dodge a bullet. Because if he hadn't have signed that contract, you could bet he probably wouldn't be getting the same terms right now. You know what I mean? One fight can change so much. And uh, Robert Whittaker just just showed showed the world that, A, he has the power and the smarts to beat the very best guys in that middleweight division but the thing that really struck me was the composure of the man even when he got taken down by Jacare and they referenced it in the commentary and he mentioned it during fight week that when Jacare takes people down they panic and that only that only hastens their demise you know if you're on the mat with the uh, Jacare Souza on your back you need to have a completely clear head because you need to know what you need to do to survive that situation Robert Whittaker had that problem very early on in the fight and dealt with it and got out of it and then came flying back. And to finish Jacare the way he did, big head kick, lots of punches. He'd hurt Jacare once or twice before that point. So it wasn't like a flash knockout or anything. He systematically broke him down. Um, Huge performance from the man who wants to call himself the Reaper, but everybody thanks. I think it's the, I think it's uh. Chad Dundas and Ben Folks on the co-main event podcast have uh, christened him Bobby Knuckles and uh, Bobby Knuckles has just become a star and uh, it's great for our friends down under, uh, we've got our, our buddies from Submission Radio, Emma Challenge as well, friend of ours, um, they must be absolutely buzzing, they've got someone who really has a shot of becoming a world champion in the UFC, amazing performance Sandy.
1: Absolutely. You you mentioned um, Australia and, you know, technically he's born in New Zealand, uh, but his his citizenship and nationality is Australian. And for that part of the world where the UFC does tend to bring at least one big event to every year, how great is it for them now to have someone like Robert Whitaker who can easily um, headline a show? You've got Mark Hunt there still, but obviously things are always a little bit, a bit of a gray area, you know, in terms of where you stand with Mark Hunt and who knows how things will kind of progress moving forward with him, Um, especially as he's now kind of probably into the twilight years of his career. Whereas Robert 26 he's 26 years old uh, and like you said Simon I'm also um, not going to underestimate him anymore I, I I mean I was picking Ronaldo uh, Jacare Souza to win this fight which I think if, if everyone's being quite honest with themselves I think 90 to 95 percent of folks were picking him to win um, it was probably just uh, the type of fight people thought that would keep him busy for the time being and he until he can try and finagle his way into a, a title shot I did not see this type of performance coming from Robert Whitaker, He was able to um, withstand all the takedown attempts that Jacare was uh, throwing against him. And then he just lit him up. And there was a, I suppose there was not controversy, but there was a little bit of a talking point with the end of the fight. Um, And it it was Mario Yamasaki because there was a point where Jacare looked completely out where you thought Mario was going to step in And stop the fight, and I think everybody would have been happy for him to have stopped the fight there and then. But he kind of stepped back again, let the fight continue, and then when Jacare actually then starts to make an attempt to defend himself intelligently and scramble and get actually start to make a move where you think he's gonna probably get back on his feet, that's when Mario steps in to stop the fight, and that's where you're like, ah, you're pulling hair out, thinking why. Um, But but I think you know in reflection, looking back of the instant replay and that's the thing sometimes you see things play in real time you know you're you're giving an opinion on twitter but then when you see things in a second and third slow motion replay yeah i mean jacques was a goner he was done um and now you know now you've got the likes of luke rockhold calling out robert whitaker all of a sudden he is flavor of the month everyone's going to probably be calling him out because everyone might be thinking actually you know what they might still be underestimating him. They might still think of Robert Whitaker as an easy fire middleweight to keep themselves busy until this whole Bisping GSP situation resolves itself. But fantastic performance by Bobby Knuckles, and whether he likes it or not, that's what I think the MMA bubble is going to call him moving forwards. Um, That was definitely coming-of-age, a star-making performance, and uh, we've got yet another middleweight contender on our hands
0: and a great post fight speech as well you know he, he's a very unassuming guy he's not a trash talker and he said it in kind of a modest sort of half jokey way but he looked down the camera and went oi biz bizbing you owe me a fight and he's dead right they were supposed to fight at 193 i think it was um and you know the fight never happened so i thought i thought that was a that's a nice little narrative to throw into the pot as well the fact that these two should have fought already uh on, on the topic of the stoppage from Mario Yamasaki, I, I'm, not, I'm not upset with the fact that the fight was stopped. I think, arguably, the stoppage was so late, it ended up looking early. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. kind of... Like, if he'd have stopped it when he probably should have stopped it, then I don't think anyone would have complained. But he left it, and he left it so late past that point that it then looked like an early stoppage because Jacare looked to be tr- at least... Trying to extricate himself from the position, but no arguments. I mean, you looked at Jacare Souza before the fight, and then you looked at him standing there after the fight. Two black eyes. He looked like he, he, he looked like he'd aged ten years in those two rounds. It was it was incredible. Um, but yeah, Bobby Knuckles is the man moving forward and uh, looking forward to seeing what happens to him. And that's a dangerous fight for Luke Rockhold, by the way. Rockhold will have a huge height and reach advantage. But Whitaker's got knockout power, and um his knockout power is far more uh, far more demonstrable than Michael Bisbing's knockout power. Michael Bisbing knocked out rock Rockhold, um, so if with that would be a fascinating bout to to have, and if they could hold that one down under, then so much the better. Maybe the winner of that gets a shot. I don't know, but um, Whitaker needs a bout. Luke Rockhold needs about. Uh I think most people would have been happy to see Rockhold versus Jack Ray. Doesn't make much sense now, does it? So maybe maybe Bobby Knuckles versus uh, Luke Rockhold is the is, is about to the bout to make moving forward. The other fight on that main card very quickly, uh Hanato Mikano defeated Jeremy Stevens by split decision. Very, very close fight, very tricky fight to score. Uh, I think whoever I think Stevens Stevens was was, was the local favourite. Lots of booze, but it was it was a close fight. There were some good performances on this card. Vol- Alexander Volkov looked good against Roy Nelson. Um, Rashid Magomedov uh, against Bobby Green was an interesting clash of stars. Perhaps not the best fight on the card. Tim Elliott and Louis Smoker was a great fight. If you love your scrambles on the mat, go back and watch that one. Aljamain Sterling against Augusto Mendes was an interesting one to watch. Devin Clark looked good. Anthony Smith on the fight past prelims. Absolutely phenomenal come from behind performance to knock out Andrew Sanchez, who was being talked to the heavens as a potential future contender in the middleweight division when Anthony Smith was having none of that and knocked him out in the third round. Great performance. Zach Cummins doing the business against Nathan Coyer, uh doing a great job on the mic, and Kelvin Vieira upsetting Ashley Evan Smith. Now there is one fight I wanted to talk about, Sandu. Didn't mention it there. It's a man that we have both seen compete on these shores. Mr. Tom Dukenwa, a former two-weight world champion for Bama, uh, made his UFC debut against Patrick Williams, and he did the business.
1: He certainly did, Simon. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I always take any prospect that comes into UFC in from whatever region of the world, whether you're a, a local regional champion from Europe, from Asia, from, from Brazil, from North America. The minute you step into the UFC... It's a whole other level. It's like you're playing in a championship and then all of a sudden you're playing in the Premier League and you're playing in the Champions League. It's a, it's a world apart, you know, not just from an opponent uh, standpoint, but it's everything else involved. The, the media responsibilities, uh, the, the spotlight, the arena, the number of people that you're fighting in front of. It's just, you know, black and white. It really is. Um, so you're, I'm always kind of uh, a little bit anxious to see how some of these prospects perform on that big stage. And he performed really, really well. Was it perfect? It wasn't perfect. D- did the the UFC match him up really, really well? Yes, they did. Patrick Williams is basically um, a wrestler who is coming off an almost two-year layoff Um and, you know, I think that was the right. That's how you that's how you matchmake. I know a lot of people rag on Bellator about this kind of matchmaking, but that's how you matchmake guys that are up and coming, that are young. You start to build them up, you know, before you start throwing them to the wolves, so to speak. Right. So I thought Tom Firekid, Duke Noir, did really, really well. Um, you know, Patrick Williams did did get his hands on him a couple of times. And I think with a more established, more skilled a uh, striker, especially, I think um, Tom will find himself in a bit of trouble. But he's young, and that's why I like the matchmaking. You, you take your time with someone like him. You build him up. I'd love to have him some, on some European cards this year. You know, maybe Glasgow or Rotterdam or uh, Poland. Any one of those, happy days. Um, I thought that. His overall performance was, was was really really well. He did the old Jean Claude Van Dam uh, splits that he's that's become his trademark now, um, you know. And, it, and it's just unfortunate that uh, MMA is still illegal in France because you've got guys like Tom Duquesnoy and you know Francis Ngannou, uh, just to name two, um, that could literally be superstars within their own home country. Um, but again, it's just yet another. Um, European fire that's come up through the ranks of the regional circuit here. In, in Tom's case, it's through Bama. And uh, he's done the business for the very first time as UFC debut. Uh, tip of the hat to him.
0: Yeah, you can throw Cole Amasu into the mix as well. He's a Cage Warriors World to Weight champion. I wouldn't be surprised if he joins the UFC before the summer. He's well just... overdue. Well Ooh. overdue. Yeah, he's he's legit. And he's got a hell of a record to back it up as well. So I wouldn't be surprised. So we could see three. Absolutely, sort of charging prospects uh, from France in in the UFC very soon. But Tom Ducommun, he's he's a talent, as you say. He's young. He, he did get hit a little bit in that fight, and I think anybody who's higher up on the food chain at bantamweight and that bantamweight division is stacked. They'll take a look at him and go, "Well, I can hit him, and if I can hit him, I can beat him," because um, there are some there are some powerhouses as you move up that division. That said, uh, you know, because it is such a deep division, you can you can slow play him. He's only young. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've got other good Bantamweights on the way up. You've got Brett Johns fighting out of Wales as an example. He's undefeated. A former Cage Warriors uh, Bantamweight champion during the time that Tom Dukenwar was the Bama Bantamweight champion. So there's an interesting potential matchup you could make there. The two the two full, the two champions from the two most respected UK and Irish-based promotions going head-to-head under the UFC banner, that would be a cracking match-up for a European base card in Glasgow or Rotterdam or wherever. Um, but I do think I wouldn't necessarily pitch him any higher than that at this stage, just as I wouldn't with uh, with Brett Johns. You know, Brett Johns isn't getting the same amount of hype that, that Tom Dukan was getting. But Brett Johns is a legit prospect as well, and I think... I think both of those guys, um, if, 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 they're, if they're match made uh, properly, we, we could see a couple of European prospects really rising up the ladder and I think that would be a good thing for the growth of the sport in this part of the world. I think it would be great for France in uh, in, in Ducombe's case as well. But he, he looked really good. I mean, he's 15-1-1 he's one and, one, and his he's one defeat came in his fifth fight to Macwan Amir of all people. Um the, where are we? Two and a half minutes submission. Uh but other than that, it's been plain sailing. There was a there was a no contest with Ashley Grimshaw. There was a very, very close split decision with Brendan Lochnane, who a lot of people thought won that fight. He's a guy who deserves a shot in UFC as well, by the mm-hmm. way. Um yeah. isn't it great that we've got these these fighters now who they're coming through. We could almost see the next wave of, of talent ready to make the step up it's really encouraging. We've got people like Saul Rogers, who obviously he needs to bounce back from his recent defeat at ACB, but he's definitely ready for a move to the UFC. Brendan Lockman is ready for a move to the UFC. And Tom ducamar has been ready for a little while. I understand he's turned them down a couple of times, much like Jimmy Manoa did um, before he eventually signed. Now he feels he's ready. He's in the UFC and let's see the lag go. Um, did just want to talk about him because he looks like a serious prospect and, uh, yep you know, he's not British and we are the Brit pack, but he made his name fighting here in the UK. So, uh, we will definitely be following him with interest. That was UFC on Fox from Kansas city, Missouri. Um, apparently didn't do that well, uh, in terms of the TV, TV ratings, apparently it was one of the lowest, if not the yeah. lowest rated ever. And you touched upon it earlier. If you aren't tuning in to watch a, a man of the ability of Demetrius Johnson fight, then more fool you, right? You, this is he is he is the top of the food chain. He's the the most the most evolved version of the species when it comes to mixed martial arts. Um and uh hopefully the fact that he's becoming a bit more vocal uh will only help him going forward. So good show that. I enjoyed that and uh we've got a good one coming up this weekend which we'll talk about in a bit, but we we mixed things up last week by doing a Q and A halfway through and I it seems it seems to fit quite nicely. So let's Let's do that again this week and uh, we'd we'd do a bit of a QA.
1: Yeah, and once again just to remind everybody, it's at the Britpack MMA. Uh, that's where you can catch us on Twitter. Throw your questions at us throughout the week. I'll give it a like so you know that it'll be asked on the show. The first one this week comes from Stephen Murray, who says, Now that Mauro Ronallo is not working for the WWE, I think Bellator or the UFC should sign him up ASAP. Do you agree? So just to kind of give a bit of context to this, Mauro Ronaldo was working for the WWE for a while. Um, there's been a, I suppose you can call it, rumor, controversy. Um, there's been a few, you know, quite a few stories out. Not by I suppose uh, the 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 main players uh, the the big big corporate media outlets, but definitely um, a few of the big hit, big hitters, uh, and it's all surrounding um, his you know potential bullying by uh, one John Bradshaw Layfield that may have led to his deba- departure. We can all speculate um, all day long. This isn't a pro wrestling or WWE podcast, but I wanted to give a bit of context. But the main thing is is that. Maro Ronaldo and the WWE have parted ways. Uh, the WWE said that they're going to honor his contract until August, so I'm sure he'll still be collecting some paychecks up until then. But since then, he's been able to kind of um, still get some work in. Now, he worked for Ryzen this past weekend uh, in Japan. He um, got back with his old uh, commentary booth buddy, uh, Frank Shamrock. And uh, during the broadcast, uh, and actually on Twitter, he has said that he'll be back. Uh, covering pro wrestling and he'll also be doing some boxing for showtime Um, and he did say that he's looking forward to being here in London for that big Joshua Klitschko fight so look I think Mauro is going to be fine he's still one of the most high in demand commentators in any combat sport or pro wrestling period so I don't think there's any lack of offers uh, coming his way Um, now would I, love, would I love to see him in the UFC? Absolutely. It was. It's always been a dream of mine to see him in the UFC. What What do I think is more likely? I think it's not out of this world that we may perhaps someday in the future, maybe this year, maybe next year, perhaps see him in the Bellator commentary booth. You know, I know that Scott Coker and uh, the folks over at Verizon have a pretty solid relationship in terms of sharing talent when it comes to fighters. It's, it's probably not going to be out of this world if they start to share some some commentary, um, commentators, sorry. So, so yeah, um, I think given the fact that WMEIMG are now in control of the UFC, any chances of Mauro uh, in the UFC commentary booth, uh, given that they're trying trying to promote all these fighters turned commentators and Brian Stan, Dan, Daniel Cormier and um, Dominic Cruz, um, I think that's who they're trying to nurture up the food chain as future commentators I think you'll probably see Mauro in Bellator way sooner than the UFC. Your thoughts, Simon, though, on Mauro as a commentator, his work um, you know, as a commentator, both perhaps in pro wrestling and in MMA and combat sports, and, uh, and what, your, what your thoughts are in potentially uh, working for Bellator UFC one day?
0: I think he's the best in the business at what he does. I really do. Um, and he, he, can, he can easily move between pro wrestling, boxing mixed martial arts and he instantly lends credibility to what what you're watching on the screen and he has a style that is very very unique he's got a a very sort of high energy commentary style and it's not for everyone you know some people like to like to have a little bit of a less is more approach certainly in the UK uh they prefer things to be a bit quieter but in mixed martial arts Mauro Ronaldo for me is, is is the best the best in the business and I know we're never going to see this. I would love them to reunite Mauro and Baz Rutten in the commentary box. That is the commentary dream team right there. Um, and they have different commentary teams. John Gooden and Dan Hardy do a phenomenal job. John Anik is clearly the number one play by play by play man right now. And uh, they're mixing and matching him with different, different, uh, analyst talent. And, uh, the, the, uh, I think he works brilliantly with Brian Stan. I think as a pair, they're the best two. Uh, I think as a three, Dominic Cruz and Rogan with him, I think works quite well, but they're still they're still working on the three-man dynamic. But three words, hire the man. Mauro Ranallo, someone has got to find that man at home. And, uh, you know, he, as, as you say, he's not going to have a problem uh, finding paychecks, but he should be calling the biggest fights in the world and I would love to see him in the UFC. I agree with you. I think he's more likely to go work for Scott Coker. He's worked for Scott Coker before. He worked he called fights for Strike Force. Um, so there's 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 previous there. Get him back in the booth. Get him back in the booth. Um, and I think I think it would be perfect. Interestingly, he talked about the uh, the pro wrestling thing. I don't know where he's going to land there. Um, you know whether whether the uh, whether impact wrestling have got enough money to to get him that would instantly lift their product. imagine someone of his status working with a a brand like impact wrestling that have been struggling a little bit in recent months um he could go to japan where he's he's obviously a name in japan from his days commentating in pride so um i think he's brilliant i think he's brilliant i love the way he's he's an advocate for for mental health issues and things like that. He's, he's very well known that he's got uh bipolar, uh, he even calls himself the bipolar rock and roller, which, uh, you know, it, it's not him making light of it. It's him putting it out there in, in, yeah. in, in a way that people won't be completely switched off by. It. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a shame if these stories, and I think Dave Meltzer is probably the most credible person to have, have really led with this. Um, if these stories are true, then it's, it's such a shame especially when the wwe one of their biggest charities is an anti-bullying charity so yeah uh, they've created this initiative so if they're if that's being undermined from within then that's a real shame uh as well but um yeah fingers crossed we see and hear a lot more of him he's a great fit for rising though because it's just like pride all over again but they need to put him and buzz Ruten back together again they're the dream team we need to have a bit of that um that would be great but yeah no all the time in the world for him. I think he's a star.
1: Darryl Chumbly tweets it and says, is, Ma- is Mikey Mouse that good or is the £125 division a weak division? There's just no question about it. Demetrius Johnson is just that damn good. You know, um, If he wasn't the champion, I think you might see that belt be passed around quite a bit with the rest of that top 10, top 15. They're really good fighters. That's the elite of the elite that's in the UFC. Um, in that flyweight division, um, and he's just great. He's just he's just that damn good, you know. And um, it's kind of like one of the situations where because he's so dominant, and he's not he's not winning like GSP. It's not decision after decision after decision. Yes, there's one or two decisions in there in the record of ten tar defenses, but most of them are finishes. And not only that, he's beating these fighters at their own game. Like Wilson Hayes is a world champion jiu-jitsu practitioner. And he submitted him with a third-round armbar. You know, he beat him at his own game. And, before, and prior to that, he was lighting him up. The, uh, the the ratio of strikes landed between Hayes and Demetrius Johnson. I think Demetrius Johnson got over a hundred, and Wilson Hayes got I think twelve or thirteen. So that's how that's the disparity between the number of shots landed between the two fighters. So very simply, Mighty Mouse is just that damn good.
0: Yeah, I think it's such an easy thing for people to say, well, he's got no competition. He's got the no competition. If he wasn't in the division, people would go, wow, what a great division. The title keeps changing hands. It's so deep. You know, everyone's fighting everybody else and the belt keeps changing. What a, you know, what a tough, tricky division this is to pick. That's not happening because this is one guy at the top. He's just better than everybody else. And, and GSP did it at well to wait. and, You know, people started to get bored a little bit with him. I know everybody is excited that he's coming back, and rightly so. But let's not forget, there was a time when people were saying, oh, GSP, he's a lay-and-pray fighter, you know, he's not... Ever since he got knocked out, he's been a a risk-averse fighter. He stopped throwing the, you know, the flashy strikes that he used to do when he first uh, first arrived in the UFC. He's gone to his wrestling game plan and, you know, grinding out decisions. This is not what we get with Demetrius Johnson. He goes in there, works you out, finds out how he can beat you and then beats you. The Kyoji Horiguchi fight, if you've got a spare half an hour to spare or a spare 40 minutes to spare, go back and watch the Kyoji Horiguchi fight. Um, it went four rounds and then four minutes and 59 seconds of the fifth round. He submitted him in the last second Of the last round of a five-round world title fight. A fight where he was winning, I think, every round on every scorecard. He didn't need to do it. He did it because he could. And that's the thing. And he's gone on, you know, he's gone the distance with a couple of guys. Henry Cejudo was supposed to be the next big test. Olympic wrestler. You know, he took Cejudo down. Olympic gold medal winning wrestler. He took Cejudo down and smashed him. TKO finish. Didn't get out of the first round. Wilson Hayes, Jiu-Jitsu black belt. What do he do? Took him to the mat. Finished him by submission. He's just too good. And I don't care what anybody says about anybody else in that division. That is a that is a decent a decent division and he's beating good guys. You know, Joe Benavidez could easily be the world champion. Henry Cejudo could easily be the world champion. John Dodson could easily be the world champion. But they're not because Demetrius Johnson. And that's it. That's it you know he is the pound for pound best fighter in the world if he weighed 170 pounds he'd be the world's weight champion if he weighed 205 he'd be the light heavyweight champion even with john jones in there i'll maintain that and that's what makes him in my eyes the best pound for pound fighter in the world
1: final question comes in from mickey who says i picked Whitaker against Jacare, but i wasn't expecting Jacare to look instantly old is father time catching up to him it certainly appears that way. I mean, he is 37 going on 38. That's not old. <laughs> Maybe not old uh, for an MMA uh, journalist, but if you're an elite mixed martial artist fighting in the UFC and you're fighting a, a 26-year-old uh, Kiwi by the name of Bobby Knuckles, um, then uh, then that might have something to do with it. Um, you know what? I've always had this thing where if, if you can get out of that first round with Jacare, and, and you can start to build up a bit of body sweat. Obviously, it's, it's it's a known fact that later the fight goes, unless you're Demetrius Johnson, of course, uh, the later the fight goes, it does become a little bit harder um, for jiu-jitsu practitioners to, tr- you know, to try and get um, a, a body lock on you or a rear naked choke because it's just hard in the scramble to kind of keep a hold of a limb um, or your neck and whatnot. Um, but considering how much muscle mass Jacques Array carries around with him, I've always been... Uh, a little bit cautious of someone perhaps getting through that first round and then being able to um, give him a run for his money, and that's exactly what happened um, in this fight with Robert Whitaker. Jacques Charay um, had many attempts to try and take him down. Robert Whitaker um, withstood all those attempts, especially um, you know in that first round, and then it only took him about ninety seconds or so of the second round to get the job done. Now, is father time catching up with him? That's a very interesting question because up until now, uh, aside from that you know fight with Romero which I think you and me Simon agree he actually won um you know he's looked great he looked pretty flawless you know um, but you know he's just signed an eight fight contract with the UFC this past weekend was fight number one so he got eight seven fights fought. he's got seven fights to go will he fulfill that in, you know, entire contract? In hindsight, would it have perhaps been better to see him, you know, fight in Bellator, where perhaps the competition isn't as much, and maybe he could still, you know, make those big paydays and perhaps be their champion? Who knows? Uh, but right now, he is still a top ten middleweight in a in a weight class that is absolutely stacked full of killers. I don't know what you do with him next. I really don't, because um, you've got Gegard who's now. Um, testing the free agency market he isn't technically a ufc fire right now and i'm sure he'll be making a case to uh, get a, a first crack at, at the the middleweight title next you've got joel romero that was apparently uh being taken care of by dana white and the ufc um before you know his uh deserved title shot was scuppered with gsp coming back so you know it's a very interesting time in that middleweight division I don't know how to answer the question, Simon. I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit stumped because a part of me thinks that, you know, I don't think Jacare can do with many more performances like the one he had on Saturday. I think if the next time he comes out, we see him struggle like the way he did on Saturday against an opponent of the caliber of a Robert Whitaker. Now, whether that's against a Masasi or against a Rockhold or somebody in that top five, top six, we don't know. But if he does, then yeah, I think. I'll start to think, well, you know what, maybe uh, time has passed him by. Maybe it's unfortunate he never got his crack at a UFC title a year or two ago. Right now, I'm still 50-50. I still have hope that he can you know, get back to, uh, to training camp, um, get back to his gym, refocus his attention get a game plan put together maybe a part maybe one foot was thinking elsewhere maybe he was underestimating robert Whitaker. maybe he was coming into this fight thinking right well that just keeps me busy it's another payday it keeps things ticking along until the middleweight title picture resolves itself now he's gonna have a a fire lit under him to, to come back and show everybody what he's all about stick him on a brazil card in the next six months or so right let's kind of build him back up again um, so, yeah, I'm not ready to call father time on him just yet, especially because a fighter that tends to use jiu-jitsu more than any other um, skill set, they tend to be able to fight for longer as well. And we've seen what Damien May has been able to do in the latter part of his career. He reinvented himself, came to a new weight class, and he, he's now poised to get a crack at the next title shot a title um as long as he wins his next fight what are your thoughts simon um you know as somebody that's in his late 30s what, what's your thoughts on Jacare uh being a 37 year old and uh, do you think by the time he has caught up with him or do you still give him some time yet
0: i wish i was in my late 30s mate i'm 40
1: <laughs> i was trying to give you a bit of credit
0: <laughs> oh no no sadly not over the hill mate over the hill here's the thing right and it's very easy in in the immediate aftermath of something to to, to overestimate or, or completely underestimate somebody because it's very fresh, and yeah. and fight sports are very polarizing. You win or you lose, you know. And especially when you get stoppages, you're either top of the world, bottom of the heap. You know what I mean? Highest the highs, lowest the lows. I think our buddy John Morgan likes to say, and it's dead right. That was his first stoppage defeat for nine years. Nine yeah. years. And that that came uh, courtesy of a Gagard Mousasi upkick uh, in Dream, which was in just his twelfth fight. This fight we just had was his thirtieth, and he's not been stopped in that span. So from fight twelve, so from fight thirteen to fight twenty-nine inclusive, hasn't been stopped. He's only lost by decision, Luke Rockhold, and then very controversially Joel Romero. So he's not really been in any serious trouble. Um, you know, he certainly hasn't been been stopped or anything like that. Whitaker stopped him. That for me is more of a reflection on Whitaker rather than a reflection on Jack Array. It might be the the sign of a, of a of a of a decline. We won't know until the next fight, and that next fight is going to be crucial. And you said you weren't sure quite how to pitch him. Maybe put him in Brazil. I think the key to this is Gegard Mousasi because. I don't think Gagard Massassi is that, that interested in fighting Chris Weidman again. Um, if he doesn't fight Chris Weidman, Jacare Weidman makes a hell of a lot of sense. They're both coming off losses. In in Weidman's case, three in a row. Um, and it's a fight that both guys... You know, they're both world championship caliber middleweights. One of them needs to move up. So it kind of makes sense that... that, 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 that those two fight whether it be in brazil whether it be on an east coast uh, event later in the year because you, you know they're going back to madison square garden right they've got to be going back again so maybe they could do that later in the year jack is certainly going to need a bit of time off um weidman i don't know what what his movements are likely to be he's currently appealing that that gay god fight at the moment but that would make a lot of sense to me but beyond that it's hard to know quite what to do with jack just looking at the rankings You've really not got any obvious ones because why would Rockhold fight him when he's ranked above and Jacare's coming off a loss? Why would Musasi fight him when he's on the up, Jacare's coming off a loss? The next man up is Anderson Silva. They're not going to fight. Derek Brunson's the next guy, you know? Derek Brunson, maybe. I don't know. I mean, unless you do the Yoel Romero rematch just to keep keep Romero busy I don't know but there's it, not a huge upside for Romero to win that fight either so you know it's for me the the fight that makes the most sense di- from, a, from a divisional standpoint is Weidman um, but it's again it's an absolute killer of a fight for whoever loses you know it really is especially Weidman that, that could be four on the spin granted the last one was controversial but the record will read four in a row so um but yeah, that that to me would be the obvious one. I'm not prepared to write him off yet. He's had one knockout loss to a guy who specializes in knocking people out. So, um, and we've seen, you know, we've seen plenty of fighters get knocked out in a far, far worse manner than we've seen uh, Jacare beat at the weekend. And they've come back and done great things. So um, I'm not prepared to write him off yet. I think he's still a major player in that middleweight division. So they need to they need to keep him in there giving him a fight with someone in that top five or six. And Wyburn, for me, is the guy.
1: Well, I appreciate everyone sending in their questions. And like I said, it's at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter. Uh, send them through. Uh, we've, got, we've got a busy schedule of UFC events coming up, and business is certainly going to be picking up over these next couple of months. A lot of title fights, a lot of big blockbuster pay-per-views coming up. So uh, me and Simon are going to be back on it on a weekly basis now. So do send us your questions. We'll be more than happy to get them on the show.
0: And don't be shy... Send them in whenever you've got them. You know, you, if, you've, if you've watched uh, a show on TV or you've read an article somewhere and it's just stirred up a question in your mind and you want us to talk about it on the show, hit us up on Twitter, at the TheBritPackMMA. You can tweet us whenever you like. As Sandu said, he will put a little like on those, those questions that he wants to include on the show. We'll always try and answer as many of them as we can. Um, but it's just a, it's his way of saying, we've seen the question... We're going to do our best to get it on the show. So get the questions in whenever you can, and we will always do our best to answer them. So we know we did a Q&A at the end, but we've put it in the middle today because we've got a, a big UFC Fight Night event coming up this weekend. Now, some people will already be smirking at that comment because the main event has taken a little bit of a caning. Um, Cub Swanson is taking on Artem Lobov in the main event of UFC Fight Night in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, whether or not you like the main event, and I think it's a main event where there's not a huge upside for Cub Swanson. There's an enormous upside for Artem Lobov, but also this is by far the biggest fight of his professional career, so it's going to take a big jump for him. Uh, a lot of people are hating on the fact that Artem's in that main event. It is what it is. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't absolutely hate it, um, but I don't know, I don't know whether it's a main event fight. So. As a fight, it's a fight. So you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Do not write off the card based on the two men on the poster. If 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 you know if you're inclined to do that, stop yourself. Read the fight card, and just look at some of these matchups. Sandu, let's just run through them. Our Quinta versus Diego Sanchez. Iaquinta hasn't fought in a fair while now. Diego Sanchez has been fighting forever. Um, that's going to deliver fireworks, isn't it?
1: that's the co-main yeah you'd think so and uh, i know ally quent has been um at loggerheads with the ufc for quite some time he, he he really wanted to be a part of that msg show last november but just couldn't come to terms with uh, the financials of the ufc took some time out uh dabbled in a bit of uh real estate uh maybe he's still doing that uh but eventually you know he sorted things out and uh, he's one of the best lightweights in the world simon i'm glad the ufc have Patch things up with him and I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of performance we're going to get out of him uh, because it has been a while since he last fought um he last fought in April of of 2015 so it's been quite and and the thing is he beat Jorge Masvidal in that fight you know via split decision so you know he he is a he's a really really good fighter um and I'm glad that he's in a co-main event slot and not stuck somewhere um you know on the fight pass prelims or anything like that because i think even though the lightweight division is completely stacked he's yet somebody else you can start to build up again and start to promote and of course diego sanchez you know everyone knows who he is he's been around for forever he's the original ultimate fighter but alternating wins and losses for quite some time now um i, I want to know from from his perspective you know what his reason is to fight is it just to pick up some more paychecks um I don't know if uh, this was the right fight for him to take. I'd like to just see him. I know Vito Belfort said a while ago that he'd like to see a Legends League. Let's not have a Legends League. Why don't we just use the veterans that are available, still, still under contract, and still are very much active? You know, I'd love to see a Diego Sanchez versus, like, a, I don't know, a Nick Diaz. going you know, to get that rematch going on again or something along that uh, line. But um, I think this is going to be pretty easy work. If, if I'm uh, honest for Ally Quinter, um, I think this will be a nice comeback fight for him.
0: Yeah, I think the only question over Al- Iaquinta is how much of it how much of a an effect that big layoff is going to have on him. You would think, yeah. all things being equal, our Al- Iaquinta should win this. But you know, we know Diego Sanchez is, is, is as tough as old boots. He will keep fighting until he's got no breath left in his body, or or the ref stops it. One or the other. Uh, but Iaquinta can bang, so. Uh, that would be an interesting fight. OSP is back in action, takes on Marcos Rogerio de Lima. But take a listen to these three fights and pick out pick out your favourite from these because these are all great, Sandu. John Dodson versus Eddie Wineland at bantamweight. Joe Lozon versus Scotland's Stevie Ray at lightweight. And at welterweight, Jake Ellenberger versus Mike Perry. Where on earth do you start with those three?
1: Well, uh, I think... Uh, with uh, the Mike Perry, Jake Ellenberger fight, I think that's got a Mike Perry knockout written all over it. This is a guy who loves to headhunt, taking on a fire that has got a very questionable chin in Jake Ellenberger. Now, Ellenberger, um, he was coming off a bunch of losses, finally got one back against Matt Brown, and then Masvidal just tore him to pieces in the first round uh, last December. Overall, he is right now, as we currently speak, he is two and six in his last day this is somebody that was once heralded as someone that could potentially fight for the welterweight championship i've got a sneaky feeling if mike perry makes light work of jake ellenberg this might be the last time you see him fight in the ufc but in terms of a guaranteed finish i think that's probably as close to a guaranteed finish as as you're probably going to likely to get in terms of prediction from me from that main card because Ellenberger doesn't really go to decision and he loses a lot by knockout or submission. And Mike Perry, a lot of his finishes, I think the majority of them, have all come by knockout and they've all come pretty early. Um, so, you know, and the fact is that he's only gone to decision once and that's when he lost. So, unless Ellenberger is very tricky and crafty, sticks to a game plan, um, you know, like, you know, Joe Ban did against Mike Perry, I think we're going to see a Mike Perry knockout here. Yeah,
0: that. that. Jake Ellenberger fight with, uh, with, with Masvidal was, was, was a little bit controversial. He got, if you remember, he got his foot caught in the cage. Yeah. And the fight was, st- I think the fight was heading that way anyway. It was. But it was a bit controversial because he got his foot caught in the cage and there was all sorts of all sorts of uh, issues going on around that. But it looked to me very much as if Masvidal was going to win that fight anyway and it wouldn't have been that much longer before he got him out of there. But um, Berger's win over Matt, Matt Brown—I don't think anyone saw that coming. That was a hugely impressive performance. But yeah, against against Mike Perry, you know what you're going to get. You know, he fights like a man who's, who's parked—he's parked on a meter outside. He just wants to get in there, smash it to bits, and then get out again. Um, and uh, he's a very exciting guy to watch fight. And uh, he—he's going to be hurt from that from that loss to Alan Jo So So um, he's going to want to show that you can't just stick and move your way to a win against him, which is what Ban effectively did. So uh, expect a very, very aggressive uh, platinum Mike Perry in that fight. Let's talk about Joe Lozon versus Stevie Ray. Uh, Lozon is as, as seasoned as they come. You talk about a Legends League and all this sort of stuff. and he He would definitely fit into that category. He's been around forever, so it seems. But Stevie Ray... This is probably the biggest name opponent of his career, I would say. You know, he's, he's in there with UFC... I wouldn't say... Well, almost UFC royalty, almost. You know, a guy who... Anyone who's been watching the UFC with, for, for any frequency over the last 15 years will know who Joe Lozon is and know that he always brings the, brings the fight. Um, Stevie Ray got himself a split decision win over Ross Pearson in Belfast. That was a super close fight. Super close fight. And... Uh, it really could have gone either way that 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 bout very very tough fight to score stevie ray got the nod i think it was his kicks that won him the fight um but yeah i think against joe lozon he's up up against a a very different opponent someone who will be more than happy to take him to the mat and and scramble with him and stevie ray has shown in the past that he's happy to do that as well so i'm really looking forward to seeing stevie tested in this i think joe will give him a completely different look to most of the other opponents he's had so far
1: Yes, Stevie, you know, does compete in jiu-jitsu tournaments and n- here and there. Uh, but I would still, if I'm him, I'm trying to keep this fight on on its feet and perhaps not grapple and uh, get into any ground exchange with Joe Lozon, because I just think he's the far more accomplished uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner. Whereas I think Stevie Ray's kind of key to victory here will be to um, stay on the outside and just try and pick Joe Lozon um, apart. And, you know, Lozon's been, you know, been in the game a while, even though you know, he's only 32, he's got a crap load of fights under his belt. It feels like he's been there forever. You know, this is going to be his 40th professional fight, which is, which is, which is absolutely nuts. Um, but I think for Stevie, you know, uh, being the European, this is a good name in Joe Lozon to have, um, on a main card on Fox Sports. So what more do you want? Uh, it's a, it's a good profile, uh, for him. And, uh, if he wins, I'm sure he'll be, uh, Clamouring to get on that Glasgow card in July.
0: Absolutely, that's the main card. So we've got a six fight main card. Um, we've also got four more fights on on the TV prelims as well. Just uh, just so you know that the TV prelims, everything is kind of the standard broadcast time for uh, for us boys and girls in in, in the UK. So the uh, the fight pass prelims will probably start half eleven, quarter to twelve because it's only a three fight fight pass card this week on USC fight pass, obviously. The TV prelims will kick off at one. The main card will kick off at three. But we've got that legendary Fox Sports pacing to look forward to. So make sure you've got you've got a book to read or something between fights. So, um, yeah, we've got some good stuff. The prelim card, we've got some good fights. Talis latest Sam Alvey. The sleeper for fight of the night is Dustin Ortiz versus Brandon Moreno at flyweight. That will be all sorts of craziness at 125. Scott Holtzman against Michael McBride is on that prelim card. Jessica Penne makes her return against Danielle Taylor. The Fight Pass prelims have got two superb bouts on there. Alexis Davis uh, is back. She takes on the debuting Cindy Dandois uh, at women's bantamweight, and Brian Barberena against Joe Proctor. Look out for that. If you've got UFC Fight Pass, that's another one that might potentially uh, challenge as a potential fight of the night. Uh, and the fight, the Fight Pass prelims are kicked off by Hector Sandoval versus match. Now, that is UFC, what's the number? UFC Fight Night 108 we're on now uh, from the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee on a Saturday night, April 22nd. That should be a good one. If you're picking a Fight of the Night candidate out of that list, where's your money going, Sandy?
1: My Fight of the Night uh, is a, probably going to be a toss-up between John Dodson, Eddie Wineland and, you know what? I think Dustin Ortiz versus Brandon Moreno. You, you, you call that one and I like that idea as well. Um, yeah, I think one of, those, one of those two will probably end up being fight of the night. Yeah,
0: I, I, I do like that Dustin Ortiz-Brandon Moreno fight a lot. I think, I think that's going to be a whole lot of fun. That's a fun fight card. I know not everyone is overly enamored with the Cub Swanson-Artem Lobov fight. Let's quickly touch on that before, before we wrap things up, Sandu. Sure. What does this fight do for Cub Swanson if he wins?
1: Uh, a paycheck. <laughs> wow wow well, well i mean look at cub swanson he's ranked four he's fighting artem lobov who's unranked so you're not gonna beat artem lobov and uh get the next title shot you know i don't know what's happening with cub swanson right now i don't know why he uh accepted this fight i don't know if it was because lobov goaded him on social media or what have you maybe from uh from cub swanson's point of view he's looking for an easier fight now uh, maybe he's underestimating Lobov, given the fact that he just came out of a, a, a bloody war with Du Ho Choi. What uh, a fight that was, by the way. Last, yeah, exactly, last December. So maybe he wants to take it a little bit easy for a while before he kind of steps back into the upper echelon of that uh, featherweight division. Um, But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm just calling it like I see it, Simon. There is no upside, really. I mean, it's a main event. That's great. It's a headline on a Fox Sports card. That's fantastic. You know, if he wins and uses the mic time uh, to build up another big high-profile fight for him, which is in the upper echelon of that division, fantastic. That's what you should be doing. What he's done, though, after losing, you know, two high-profile fights against Frankie Edgar, Max Holloway, he's now started to build another run together he's got a nice little streak going here Um, his run consists of Hakran Diaz Tatsua Kawajiri and Duho Choi so you add Artem Lobov to the mix that's four wins in a row then you could perhaps try and vie for somebody um, um, in the top five you know I don't know who would make sense you got Jeremy Stevens coming off a loss Um, you've you know I don't know Frankie Edgar I think is booked isn't he is he, is he's got a fight coming up i believe he has indeed
0: yeah he's taken out oh, frankie he's taking on yaya Rodriguez
1: maybe you could have say hey I'll fight the winner of Rodriguez versus Edgar um to see if he can still hang with the the, the big boys and try and um you know put himself into position to fight the winner of Aldo Holloway. but uh, but outside of uh, being a main event and probably another you know nice little payday for him I don't see what else this really does for him. Um, Hopefully, from his perspective, it's just a showcase fight. For Lobov, massive upside. Massive. If you're fighting the number four ranked fighter in the world, it's a main event slot. You know, and for someone um, that's many considered to be a journeyman, you know, I'm just calling it like I see it, Simon. This is a absolutely brilliant opportunity, and it doesn't hurt the fact that he's entrenched in that McGreg- McGregor camp. Um, and who knows if Conor's going to be there? He was there cage side for him uh, in Belfast last year. So, who knows if he'll make the trip? I know John Cavanaugh will probably be in his corner. So, um, so yeah, looking forward to seeing you know if the McGregor element plays any factor into that fight week. Just given the fact that Lobov is as ter- is a training partner,
0: yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't say about myself. I mean, the, the whole thing with I know that there are people who will hate on the main event, and I understand why. You've got the number four guy against an unranked guy when you have a division absolutely packed to the gills with potential contenders who are in ranked positions, but that's not Artem Lobov's fault. You know what I mean? I. I You know, he's been given a golden opportunity here. And I I certainly don't think he deserves any hate for it. And I'm sure, you know, he he might be getting a bit here and there. That's not on him. That's the UFC. The UFC have made the match-up. And uh, if I'm Artem, I'm feeling pretty happy with this right now. He's got an opportunity to go in there. If he loses, then everyone expected him to lose anyway. You know what I mean? So it doesn't make an enormous difference. If he wins then old boy, then he's just got himself the biggest win of his professional career. He's, he's on a two-fight win streak. He beat Chris Avila at UFC 202 in a fight where I don't even know if Chris Avila threw a punch. And uh, he beat Teruto Ishihara and actually looked very good, in all fairness. He did very good against Teruto Ishihara um, and uh, put in definitely the best performance of his UFC career. Um, against Cub Swanson it's going to be levels above anybody's ever faced you know there's going to, he, swanson will be an unbackable favorite going into the fight it is what it is you know it looks on paper it looks like a mismatch the bookmakers will price it as a mismatch but this is a mixed martial arts fight and you know i would never disrespect anyone who steps in there and fights so uh, i obviously think that swanson is 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 going to win the fight but there's certainly no I don't think there's anything bad you can say to Artem Lobov about this situation. Um, let him get in there and go for it. And you never know. It might happen, it might not. But um, if anyone's got any issue with the main event, that issues with the matchmakers of the UFC. But, like I said at the start, don't judge the card just on the two guys on the poster. Look down look down the fight card. Look at some of the matchups you've got there. Look at some of the people who are actually going to be Involved in that fight card, Mike Perry has never been in a bad fight that I've seen. You know, I've been back and watched some of his old stuff as well. I'm not on YouTube and things. He's, he's a psychopath. He's, he's he's brilliant to watch. Joe Lozon wins bonuses almost every time he gets in the Octagon because such he's such an entertaining fighter. You know, Diego Sanchez is a crazy man. You know, Al Iaquinta is a potential contender in the lightweight division. John Dodson is the fastest man in the UFC. You know, there's, this, there's so many individual pieces to this puzzle um, that I think is well worth watching. Even if, even if you turn off before the main event, you know, watch the fight card. There's so much, there's so much good stuff on there and I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, you know, it doesn't have the big star power potentially at the very top, much like the London card we were, you know, that that we covered a few months ago. That delivered. No reason why this one won't deliver as well, so... That's UFC Fight night this weekend. And that brings to an end episode number 35 of the Brick
1: Pack. It's good to have you back, buddy. It was good to be back. Uh, final note I wanted to kind of quickly throw out there. It has been a couple of weeks since I've been on. Um, if you've been watching the UFC on BT Sport the last couple of weekends, you would have noticed that Bellator have been uh, promoting their London card uh, got to give them a shout-out. That is fantastic advertising placement right there. Because you know that if you've got an MMA community that is willing to stay up until 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night watching UFC, um, they're going to be probably interested to find out that Rory McDonald and Paul Daly... Um, are going to be headlining the Bellator London card. So we saw a little bit of that at the London UFC show, Simon, where we saw posters and flyers and bits and pieces from Bellator. Um, But I thought that was very smart of them to start actually putting some ads on uh, during the UFC broadcast. We'll probably see that uh, this weekend um, as well on BT Sport. Um, And, uh, yeah, just wanted to kind of just throw that out there, um, give them a bit of a shout, because I think that's just good marketing.
0: It really is. It's, it's, It's absolute common sense marketing as you said they leafleted the leafleted the fans have posters up i think their posters up on the tube coming up at north greenwich station when you got to the o2 on fight night um you know the bellator branding was there even though the fighters weren't you know um and uh i think it's it's good for us in the uk that we've got other shows putting good events on whether it be bellator whether it be cage warriors whether it be bammer you know, uh, Cage Warriors are coming back to London in a couple of months. Um, I think they've got to show in Wales in a week or two's time. You've got Bama have got another show coming up in Birmingham uh, in a month or so's time. It feels to me like sort of the bigger the bigger players in 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 the uh, the MMA space are are beginning to really ramp things up now, and it's for us in the UK we're getting more good quality shows now than probably we've ever had uh, and uh, it's, it's good and we've got these prospects coming up through the ranks it's really really encouraging to see but uh, yeah that wraps things up episode number 35 uh, you can tweet us at the Britpack MMA at Sandu MMA at Simon Head check out the website the com. you will find everything you need on there um, if you subscribe on iTunes and you're enjoying this show if you've been, if you've been with us for any number of shows and you're still listening and enjoy enjoy what you're what you're getting from us each week, jump on iTunes, leave us a little review and uh, a rating, because uh, that just helps push the show out to more people, it helps make our show a bit more discoverable on the iTunes store, so if you can do that, that would be awesome, we're also on Stitcher, if you want to subscribe from that instead, we're on SoundCloud, we're on Acast, and uh, we're also back on YouTube again, I've got us back up to date on there as well, so... Um, so everything's going everything's going full steam ahead now with the Brit Pack. Episode number 36 will be next week. We'll look back on the Nashville event and uh, we will keep going every week. And uh, we'll fly through the year. We'll hit that half century mark before you know it. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And we'll speak to you next week.